Wow, I love music, but man, that was a good time this morning in all that we did. Thank you for everything. I know they're gone now, but boy, Kristen, thank you for that song on a violin. My top five favorite movies, one of them is Fiddler on a Roof. And uh, every time you hear that start, I'm reminded of that. There are a lot of reasons that I'm sure you enjoy this time of year. I mean, there are probably a dozen of them that come to your mind. One of them, obviously, is the music. I love to sing the Christmas songs. I love to sing about the Christ of Christmas and what this event is all about. Many of us love the lights. Can't imagine what it would be like without light in so many cases, as we'll discuss tomorrow night. Without the light of Christ, there is no reason to celebrate. But because of the light of Jesus, we have every reason to celebrate. For a lot of you, it's a gathering of family and friends. I've already met some this morning that are here this weekend, and many people will come in many different directions, both coming and going. Uh, we leave today to see our kids in the afternoon, and just a, a lot of people traveling over the next few days. I think it's really till Wednesday night at some time, or maybe Thursday, that I can quiet myself and reflect on what the season has taken a, taken a part of. And for many of us, we're traveling a lot over these days together, but that's one of the things you enjoy of family and friends coming together. Christmas memories. Last week, this week in staff meeting, we share some Christmas memories that all of us have had growing up, whatever the first things that came to your mind that was fascinating with 25 people in the room. Everybody had a different story, something that came flashing into their mind immediately about a Christmas tradition or a Christmas memory. Some of them sad, some of them joyful, but all of you have them. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is when it says Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. She began to reflect on what it is that she had just experienced. And I hope that during the next couple of days, you can do that with your family and friends. Just ponder and reflect and enjoy it to the fullest. We all know that it changes from year to year. And uh, you never know till next year what's going to be like. So enjoy this one to the fullest. There are a lot of traditions that people do. A lot of things that they do to celebrate the event, maybe a little bit out of the norm. Two things that have always stood out in my mind during my time here at Community Alliance Church at Christmas time, outside of the Christmas Eve services, which are my favorite of all the years, and that is Christmas caroling. A number of years ago, it was probably the first or second year I came here, Bill asked if I would take a group of kids over to the VA hospital and carol, and it was the most moving, one of the most moving moments of my life. Kids had an opportunity to go up and down the hall and sing and to celebrate and found out how much it cost, really, in a sense, for the freedom that we enjoy on a regular basis. I saw many men who had sacrificed a lot, not only personally and physically, but losing arms and limbs. And it just, it's still to this day, 17 years later, stands out as one of my, one of the highlights of a time at Christmas. This past week, actually it was 12, 12, 12, a week or so ago, our small group got together and, and we decided we wanted a Christmas carol and we went to Sunnyview. And sometimes people in county homes get forgotten. And so we went up and down every single hall and every single level of Sunnyview and sang Christmas songs. And there were two extremes that captured my attention. One is the people that wept uncontrollably. Now, it wasn't because our singing was that bad. <laughs> it was the fact that somebody came and they sang with us. Some sang. One of the gals just cried the entire time we were there, which didn't help me at all. You know how unemotional I am. And just the opportunity to be able to share love and to laugh with them and to cry with them and to sing with them, it was just unbelievable hour or so together. Not only with our small group, but memories. We brought kids and had everybody bring their kids. Some of the all adults in there wanted to take our kids. Some of the parents wanted to leave them with them. Thought it would be a great trade-off. 
of all of that, but it just stands out. When you have the opportunity to build a memory like that, necessarily as a small group, but maybe as a family, but to take the kids, I would never have regretted that, to uh, be able to do that with families and to share up and down those halls. These people were captured by just those moments that somebody spent some time into their life. You and I both know that there are a lot of other reasons that Christmas is so special to a lot of people. And if I were to ask you this morning, there would be a, a dozen more. But we all know that the greatest event in the history of the world began this particular time that we celebrate. It's culminated in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, which is why it's difficult for me to say this is the greatest event in the history of humanity because it starts and ends this particular time that we celebrate in a few months when we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Christ as the absolute greatest event in the history of humanity. So much so that all of human history is measured before Christ, B.C., or in the year of our Lord, A.D. So great that all of us come together at a moment like this to stop and pause and reflect and recognize that, as Sarah read this morning, this one solitary life has literally changed all of the world. It's a time when God the Father demonstrated his love for us by sending his Son. It's a celebration of the moment when God the Son demonstrated his love for us by giving up all the splendor of heaven to come to earth, born in a stable, not knowing that he was coming to die, as Justin said a moment ago. Die on a cruel cross on a lonely hill so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, have the opportunity to receive eternal life. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that for us that we celebrate this particular weekend. We have the opportunity to know that Christ came for you and I. That God so loved us. So, and how many times we see that phrase of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved you and me, you and I, you and I, that he sent his one and only son that we could have life and have it forever. That's why there is such joy when we sing. This service stood so early to that last song, even compared to other services at other times, because you cannot sit when you recognize what it is that Christ offers us and what we have in Jesus which what makes this celebration of this particular weekend today and tonight and tomorrow for many people in, a, in the next few days so incredible when we know Christ. Because we know the truth behind the story, and it's not just a story that's shared over and over again as tradition would be, but it's a story of life and redemption and love and grace poured out from heaven on you and I. I mean, no wonder Paul, when he describes it in Corinthians, says what an incredible gift that you and I have been given and received. Jesus. And no matter what you give or no matter what you receive over the next few days, and some of you will find things that people have spent weeks and months in preparing and thinking about that one special moment, that grace gift that you could never repay and you could never return and you could never outgive them. And it's an unbelievable moment in time when you receive that gift. Nothing will ever compare the gift of God's unbelievable love for us. And so when we sing these songs this morning and we celebrate this event and we celebrate again tomorrow night and we come and we sing and we enjoy it to the fullest, we have a reason for that. Not based on tradition, not based on what we're supposed to do, not based on the fact that it's December 24th, we ought to go to church, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And a lot of people will go for that reason because it is December the 24th and I want to go to church, I want to be with my family, I want to have a tradition like that. And all of those are wonderful, but this particular event changed everything. And that's why we celebrate it so fully. I don't know if you've ever thought like me. I just need to pause there for a moment because I don't wish that upon anyone <laughs> that you ever think like me. But if you've ever wondered 
What was it like that night? What was it like that first Christmas night? Before it was ever called Christmas. It was years later before it was ever even identified as Christmas, the mass to celebrate Christ. It wasn't Winter Wonderland. It wasn't Deck the Halls. They weren't running around singing sleigh bells ring, are you listening? What was it like then? You and I may want a white Christmas, but for them it was anything else but that. What was it like then? What was going on that silent night? Now we know what's going on in our world. Unemployment, unrest, uncertainty. Over the last few weeks, it was another incredible reminder of how unbelievably sad and unpredictable life can be. And since then, the story have gone on in some other communities, nothing to that magnitude, but in so many places, the emptiness and the hopelessness that families have experienced and some who find themselves at the end of their rope and the end of life, not knowing what to do and where to turn. After these events, many of us try to have answers and many will try to come up with solutions. Many will say we've removed God from society, which certainly is true. I still find it fascinating that we really have removed God from so many areas of life that the first time tragedy strikes, the one thing that everyone, media included, asks us to do is to pray. A lot of things need to change. We saturate ourselves with so many things and never calculate the influence, as I said last Sunday morning. We live in such desperate times with tragedy around every corner. We know what's going on in our world. We know we need a Savior for our world. But what about that silent night, that holy night? What kind of world did Jesus enter in? Well, it may have been silent, but the world was anything but holy. If you know anything about Christmas songs, there's one that probably all of you have heard at one point or the other, a little town of Bethlehem. In the middle of that song, in the first verse, there's somewhat of a clue as to what was going on that night. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You ever wonder what those hopes and fears were? And if their hopes and fears were any different than ours? In a lot of cases they were, and a lot of cases they weren't. To answer that this morning about their hopes and fears, I want to talk to you about three kings, all found in the Christmas story. The stories are found in Luke and Matthew, the two most common stories that we read at Christmas time. I want you to turn there this morning if you have a Bible in both of them. I'm going to read a lot from Luke and just a verse or two from Matthew. As we talk about three kings, they're not the three kings that maybe came to your mind of we three kings of Orion are. I know you've heard me say before that they probably weren't kings, most likely weren't from the Orient, and there probably were more than three. But the we part of that song is biblically correct. It's the story of three kings found in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. The three kings, Augustus Caesar, Herod and Jesus. Look at the first one in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, probably all of you, if you grew up like me, could quote it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. King James Version of that verse says a census of all the inhabited world. You ever wonder why he wanted that? Basically, it's because he ruled the entire inhabited world and wanted to know how big it was. From Europe to Asia, the guy was power personified. 
The world was his, and if it got bigger, he wanted it and would do anything he could to get it and to acquire it for himself. One of the things that people feared on that night so long ago, on that first Christmas, was Caesar Augustus. Another was found in Matthew chapter 2, the other familiar section of Scripture. I find it intriguing that Matthew and Luke both start at the beginning and Mark and John pick up right at the very outset of Jesus' ministry in a sense. And Matthew, he goes back a little bit and introduces us to the second king. His name is Herod. It's in Matthew chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the time of King Herod. Herod, the Roman king, was sent to rule over Israel. Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, the world at that time was under the rule of the Roman Empire. Historically, possibly the greatest single empire in the history of the world. Augustus Caesar over it all. Herod assigned to rule over Israel. The splendor, magnitude, and dominance of the Roman Empire was overwhelming. It grew incredibly large through power, force, and total domination. Roman historians tell us that their intentions were literally to dominate the entire world. One of the amazing contrasts of this event that we celebrate today and tomorrow is right there at that particular point. Many of the kings of this earth get their power from what? Taking. But the ultimate king, the true king, the King Jesus that you and I come to celebrate today and tomorrow, who really does have all the power, comes to give it away. I find that fascinating that of all the kings in the earth who think they have all the power, who get it by taking even more. And the ultimate king that we celebrate, who had really all the power, comes to give it away. Paul gives his version of the scene behind the scenes in what went on in heaven before Christ came in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, you got to have the same attitude Jesus does. Who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, Paul says, something to be held onto so tightly he couldn't let it go, but he did. He said he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself so much so that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Rome took everything by force and domination. Jesus had everything and gave it away. Rome wanted it all. Nothing or no one stood in their way. That was the world Jesus was born into, which is why the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him that night. Rome was ruled, was ruled by a number of Caesars. The most famous, of course, is Julius Caesar. Augustus Caesar, referred to in Luke 2, was related to him. He had the world under his control. One king, one kingdom without end. Again, you contrast that with the words of the Messiah that we hear so often, King of kings forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. Caesar thought that about his kingdom. Luke chapter 2, Caesar thinks he has the world in his hands and the center of attention. Today is nothing more than a memory of history, and Jesus, the real king, as Sarah read a moment ago, is the absolute center of history. The phrase of those days was Caesar is Lord, who said about him that salvation was found in no one else but Caesar, for there's no other name by which men will be saved. But saved to them, men allowed to live. When Peter made his statement in Acts chapter 4, referring to Jesus, he said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved, stating that in defiance of the Caesars of his day saying that there is one name and it's Christ and Christ alone. Caesar is dead and only a memory, and for 2,000 years, Christians have said and still say, Jesus 
is Lord. He's the one that Peter referred to, that salvation comes through no other name but through the name Jesus. Caesar and Herod accumulated wealth by heavy taxation. Over 70% of the people's money went to taxation. Jesus came to a world of despair and poverty. Caesar's kingdom was built on power and domination. Herod's kingdom built on grabbing all the wealth he could get, exploiting as many as possible. To really understand the Christmas story, that silent night, that holy night, we need to understand how desperate they were to be rescued. And in the midst of all of that hopelessness, God sends an angel to a young Jewish peasant girl. He says, you're going to give birth to a son. In the sixth month, God sent in Luke chapter 1 an angel, to, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went and said to her, Greeting you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was obviously greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will never be an end. How, Mary said, since I am a virgin. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. I will do what you ask. At the edge of a small town with the power of Caesar all around her and realizing what had just taken place, Mary, is, the next few weeks, begins to sing a song. Not the song of a timid girl, but the song of God's answer to the hopelessness of the world. It's found in verse 46 of chapter 1 of Luke when she said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of this servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. His mercy extends to all those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He brought down the rulers from their thrones, but he lifted up the humble and filled the hungry with good things. King Jesus came not to take life, but to give life. One of the songs that is probably my favorite that we don't do your normally on a Sunday experience is Mark Lowry's song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know that your baby would someday walk on water? Did you know that that baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the dead will walk again? The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now, when you listen to Mary's song in chapter 1 of Luke, you have to believe she knew. She really did. The Caesars and Herods of this world think they have all the power. A 16-year-old girl reminds us of who really has all the power. Herod, who lives in a palace, couldn't sleep at all when he found out about the birth of Jesus. And the real king of kings, born in a stable, sleeps like a baby. King Jesus came not to take life, but to give life to anyone who asked it. He came to give his own life, and he would give you and I eternal life. One king dominated the world with fear and intimidation. 
One king ruled with taxation and grabbing everything for himself. One king came to give his life away. Augustus Caesar's kingdom, gone. Herod's kingdom, gone. Jesus' kingdom, alive forever. The Son of God, the King of kings, saw the mess that the world was in at that particular time and chose to enter and offer healing and help and hope for the human condition and the promise of a better day. That's why this story has been told over and over and over again for over 2,000 years and will be until we see Jesus face to face. What fascinates me about this when a few weeks ago I sensed this was the direction we would go on this particular Sunday is not knowing what would happen in our world, specifically in our country in these last couple of weeks. What intrigues me about that story and this story and these events is that 2,000 years later, without Christ, we're still in a mess. 2,000 years later, with all the hopes and fears of all the years, are still only met in one, and that is through Christ. 2,000 years later, the, still, the world is still hopeless and without an answer except in Jesus. And people are still wondering about the answers of life and the uncertainty of life. And you and I have the answer in our hearts when we know Christ. What I love about this story and this event is that no matter how many times we share it, it never, ever loses its edge or its power or its wonder. And it still is relevant today, now in our world, as when it was actually lived out and when it was actually written about by the writer of Old Little Town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him that night. Because what you and I have in Jesus is the answer to all the hopes and fears in our world today. My prayer is that today, tonight, tomorrow, and for the next few days as you gather together with family and friends who will all wonder about life and the uncertainty of life and the unpredictability of life. And they'll talk about the circumstances that we live in and the uncertainty of life itself and the deplorable mess that many will find themselves into and the story will continue to leap out at us on the pages of every newspaper article, you and I have the opportunity to share with them the answers that the world has been looking for, that the world found in Jesus over 2,000 years ago. And so my hope is that you share that. That amidst of all the uncertainty and all the unpredictability of life, let me share with you the one answer this world so desperately needs. The one who came 2,000 years ago to set us free, to put our lives back together again and to give us the only thing in life that makes sense, and that is Christ. Forgiveness and grace and all the things that comes with that and the promise of eternal life. You and I have the opportunity to share that during these days together with family and friends, and I hope you take advantage of that. If you're here this morning and you came because it's Christmas weekend and you too wonder about life, but you're not really certain about your relationship with God, You've been looking for it. There are a lot of reasons over these last few weeks that have caused you to wonder about life and wonder about the future and hopefully wonder about your own future. I want to offer you this morning the greatest gift of all, and that is Christ. That today, this very day, your world can be changed forever. 
that you can reach out and invite Christ into your life. This Christ of Christmas that we celebrate came, as we've been saying all along, to die on a cross so that you and I can have our sins forgiven and life eternal. And we offer that to you today. When I grew up as a kid, we went to church and they all gave us gifts. Candy bars, bag of cookies, or a box of M&Ms. But I'm telling you, what we offer you this morning is the absolute greatest gift of all. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to see today be the day that you find him. If you do know Christ as your Savior in the midst of this mess that we live in, in our world, you have the answer that everyone is looking for. So share it. Offer it. Invite a friend tomorrow night. Invite a friend next week, the next few weeks as we go back and begin to look at some of the evil that we live in and some of the answers that Jesus gives. It's found in his word. And take advantage of these unbelievable, unprecedented opportunities that you'll have because people are wondering, where's it all going? What's going to happen? What about life? Man, you and I have the answer if you know Christ. Share it. Let me pray for you. God, I love this, this season for a, a dozen reasons. I look forward to today with family and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we'll laugh and we'll celebrate. We'll talk about memories. There'll be so many great things that we'll share. I'm so thrilled in my case that so many of my family knows Jesus. There are a lot of people in this audience this morning who will gather with family and friends who really have many that don't know you. And I, I just ask that you give them the courage in the midst of all the questions and all the uncertainty to share what they have found in Jesus. I'm always stunned at the fact that in an audience like this and the one in our previous service, they'll touch thousands and hundreds of more lives than many of us standing on a stage like this will ever touch. And so use them, Lord, in really profound ways. That all the hopes and fears of then and now can be found in you. Thank you for coming into our mess and setting us free and giving us life and future and the promise of eternity when we know you as Savior. For that one or two or few that are here this morning who don't know, may today be the day that their lives are changed forever as they reach out to you. Thank you, Father, again for all that you've provided and all you've done. May your glory, as we sang a while ago, invade this place. Invade it tomorrow as we gather together in the name of Jesus and celebrate this great gift. And may the love of Christ radiate not only from this church, but the churches in this community, community, in this county, in this country, and in this world that is so unbelievably desperate for answers. They're found in you and you alone, no other place. Give us the courage to share it time and time again. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.